Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, I pray this evening, Lord, that you would guide my tongue, that you would guide my hand, Lord, through the Holy Writ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that not only will we read these verses, Lord, but we'll also get revelation of them. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray we get revelation of Jesus Christ this evening. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful word that you have placed in our hands. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word will never, never, never pass away. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that even though this book has been banned, it has been burnt, it has been cast out, Lord, they can never, never take the word of God away from us because your word is alive. And we thank you, Jesus, that it is moving in the midst of your people this evening. So Lord, bless the reading of your word. Give us illumination of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So Revelation chapter three, and we're going to actually read verse 21 to start with. Now you heard me preach on the Laodicean church, uh, do a study on the Laodicean church, maybe a couple of weeks ago and then uh, Pastor Tom Quinn mentioned it when he was preaching on Sunday but I want to lift one verse out and it's Revelation 3 and verse 21 and it says to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. Now, it's a beautiful, beautiful verse of Scripture, this. And you see, before we ever get into anything to do with Revelation, I always say it's worth a stop at the very first first verse of the book. Because then this gives you a good gist of exactly what the book of Revelation is. And it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it says in the first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So we should always keep that... In mind, And also we should always keep in mind as well the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel at the end of it, it basically says, and I'm paraphrasing now, it says, that's it, that's to shut up that vision. But then the book of Revelation continues from then on. So it's an unfolding revelation then. For Daniel's time, that was as much revelation as he was going to have. And then when John, the apostle John come, obviously he got the revelation then of Jesus Christ, and this is where it followed on from. You sort of see Daniel, as, and he's given the, the vision of the empires, and as the last empire, you see, was the Roman Empire, and this is when you get the book of Revelation, and then it starts to continue from there, the revelation, as it goes on through the Roman Empire and everything else. But that verse comes to mind. <clears throat> verse 21 because it says about overcoming. Overcoming the lukewarmness of the church that we're in in this day. We are to overcome. And I want to concentrate on this verse for a minute. Because whenever you look at any of the churches in the book of Revelation, there is always a promise at the end of them. There's always a blessing to those who overcome. Always is. But this one to me seems one of the most... Blessed verses when you have a look at the churches. And I believe it's because you see the day and age that we live in. 
even though when you look through the persecutions and everything else, you have a look at the churches through the persecutions. They were on fire for God. And let's be honest, the only time the church is ever on fire is when it's being persecuted. We don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. And you see when you look at the Laodicean church, this lukewarmness is so hard to overcome because it's all of our wants. We have everything. And so there's nothing really, if you like, than giving you what you want to quench your desire. To quench your desire. But I want you to notice that in the Greek, to overcome it, is a a word called niko, and it gives the idea to subdue, to prevail, to get a victory. And then we come to the word sat down. And that's kathesio. And this means to appoint or to hover or to dwell in a place of. And then you have a, a, a word called throne, which is thronos. And this means a place of civil and religious authority. So when you start to put these phrases together, it gives you the idea of somebody who prevails in victory. When they do, there is an appointed dwelling place of civil and religious authority. It's what the idea of the Greek gives you. So when you look at this, this would give you an idea of a place of authority, of a place of order, of a place of government. And so this is where we get, and this is where I want to now come into Revelation chapter 7. So if you want to move over to Revelation chapter 7, you'll see where I'm going with this, with the the 144,000. We'll we'll read the first first three verses. I'll give you a a bit of a background into chapter 7 before we start to get into things too much. And it says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Right, so I just want you to keep in mind what we just spoke about in that verse 21. Now I want to give you a bit of background on chapter 7, and hopefully towards the end we've got to pull this all together so you'll see what I'm trying to get at. If we just give a quick rundown of of chapter 6 of Revelation, that was the six seals on the double-sided scroll. And they were open in successive order. And I think you already know, but that was to do with the the pagan Roman Empire. And it was these six seals were each unleashed on this pagan Roman Empire. And there was plagues and there was famine and there was all that. 
But you notice in, 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 in the pagan Roman Empire, there was many that were slain for the faith of Christ. We know this. They would not declare Caesar as their God, so they were, they were slain for not, for, <clears throat> for not declaring Caesar as their God. But also, we have to rem- remember that this was revealed to them, that there was going to be persecution come. It was revealed in this book that the persecution would take place, <clears throat> that the followers of Christ would be persecuted. And then <clears throat> when we get through like pagan Rome, it goes into papal Rome. So we start to see this persecution take place and then we start to see this verse unfold. So when we start to get this to, into to, to chapter 7 and verse 1, we see about these angels in the four corners of the earth. Well, the earth, as we would think of it, sometimes when you see the word earth, it doesn't actually mean the whole earth. It can mean the whole earth, but it can also mean regions, or a region, or a, uh, a country. So it doesn't always mean the whole earth. So it can mean a local territory and in this sort of application when you actually have a read of chapter 6 and then you're going into chapter 7, you you know that it's talking about the Roman Empire as it was. So it's talking about the region of the Roman Empire. And you notice something that it mentions winds. Winds. So the winds in the Bible are symbolic. And they speak of war, of strife, and they also speak of judgments of God. Now, if you want to go over to Daniel chapter 7, verses 2 to 3, I'll just show you what I mean. Daniel chapter 7. It says, Daniel spake and said, I saw in a vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea, and and the four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So you can see here that Daniel goes on to describe these four great beasts, which are diverse from one another, and these were the Babylonians, these were the Medo Persians, these were the Greeks, and then you had Rome. So they were the the four empires that are described with these four beasts. And the sea denotes a masses of people. That's what it denotes, a masses of people in the Bible. So that's the sea. So you can see that each of the nation was striving against each other. As one was starting to rise, the other one was starting to fall. So they were striving against each other, and there was all these wars, and there was all these calamities that were falling. It was like a power struggle. So you can see that happening. So that's why it's describing them as the winds in Daniel. If you'd like just to flip over as well to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2. You'll see this again, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6. And it says this, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, 
For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Now, what, what are they saying here? This verse is actually telling us <clears throat> about being spread abroad. Now, in fact, Zechariah here is actually referring to the judgment that was passed on Israel. Because Israel were in complete disobedience to God, what he is talking about here, he says, the Lord passed judgment on them. This is what he's talking about when they went into captivity. You know, with the Assyrians and then the Babylonian Empire, they went into captivity. And he's saying, the winds, uh, I have spread you abroad as the four winds. In other words, he's saying, the judgment of God spread you from out that land that you were promised. So that's what Zechariah is saying. So you can see that the, the judgments of God are referred to in the Bible as the winds, the winds of God. So you see that. And then if you like to flip back to our initial reading, please, in, in chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7. We'll just look at a few other things so you know you know what I'm getting at <clears throat> you'll see here it says about the four corners and this denotes an inclusive or all inclusive direction the north, south, east and west and what he's trying to say is even at this time the Lord knows where his people are scattered so they're scattered in all sorts of directions. And he's saying, the Lord knows where they're all scattered. And it says, so John saw the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. And look what it says. It says, that they should not blow. So what does he mean, what does he mean by that? Well, he's on about the Lord is actually restraining. Gives an idea of a restraint being put on that actual destruction does not come completely upon the Lord's people. He's given the idea here that <clears throat> not total destruction is going to come upon his people because the Lord is holding them back. He's holding these winds that are coming, like I said, which there's the judgments of God. They're holding back these winds because the Lord wants to do something first. And you'll notice... And it says about sealing the servants of our God in their foreheads. You see, he's holding back these judgments because of his people's sake. Now you say, you might say, well, there were severe persecutions. There were severe persecutions, but they didn't completely destroy God's people. It was always a witness for the Lord, even in these times. And even in the times we're looking at now, people may not know it, but there is a restraint even now in our days and in our nation being exerted. You can see it. You can see it. But the thing is, brother and sister, and this is the most, and this is probably the scariest thing, that it's not always going to be there. Because the Lord always calls time. So long, you get so much chance, and then when the Lord calls time, the nations always know about it. And this is exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. So we see that 
So when we look <clears throat> at that, we see the Lord restraining, and then we see in this verse about the seal. So what's the Lord talking about here? The seal of the servants in their forehead, or the seal of God. Now turn with me please to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. And go with me please to chapter 9. start at verse 1 down to verse 6 and it says he cried also in my ears with a loud voice saying cause them that have charge over the city to draw near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand and behold six men came from the way of the higher gate which lie toward the north and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand and one man among them was clothed with linen with a writer's ink Inkhorn by his side, and there went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. This denotes the word of God, so you can obviously realize who this is. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh, and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old, young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom the mark, and begin at my sanctuary." And then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Now what's he is saying here? He is saying there is a group of people that the Lord had marked out. And even when you see the, the writer's ink horn, that describes the word of God being upon somebody. Now what's he saying is, he says, all the abominations and everything else that Israel have fallen to, there is still some people that see the corruption, that see the rebellion in that city and will not adhere to it. And then the Lord said, right, that's enough because I'm going to deal with them. You see, and you start to see this. You start to see this all the way throughout the Old Testament. And so you can carry on into the New Testament as well. Even when you look at 1 Peter 4 and 17, and it says this, for the time is come. That judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel? So you see, judgment is coming to us first before it's got to go anywhere else. And this is why it's important when we start to read about the Laodicean church, when we look at that verse 21 as we did, to overcome and not to accept the lukewarmness that is coming in the church. It's so important to overcome. 
In fact, in Psalm 109, verse 53, it says, The horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsaken thy law. And then in verse 136, he says, Rivers of waters run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. Verse 158 says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. You see, this is important to the Lord. And when we look at this and people say about the 144,000 and they make it all very mystical and all everything, it is not. It's about people that will not bow to anything but the word of God. It's people that have this steadfast faithfulness to our Lord. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So it just shows you what the Lord wants. What he is, what he is asking of us in this day and age that we live in. The Lord wants us to keep his word, to keep his commandments and to keep it in our hearts, in our very hearts. And this is why whenever you look at the verse in chapter 7, it says about it being in their foreheads. You see, it was a mindset. It was a mindset that they would not be polluted with anything else but it would be in their foreheads, as it says in chapter 3, it says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So it's those that would not have anything else but the word of God and the truth of God in their lives. Even when we look, it says in Hebrews 10 and 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds and write them. So you can see what I'm trying to get at now. This, this, this mindset, this steadfastness in the word of God that will not comp- compromise. So I want it now to get to the 144,000. Well, if we read from verse 4, in Revelation chapter 7, down to verse, we'll go down to verse 10. So we'll start at verse 4, Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. And it says, I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed 144,000, all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, were sealed 12,000. Manasseh. Of the tribe of Simeon, was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Ishtakar, was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun, was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin, was sealed 12,000. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, 
which no man could number of all nations and kindreds of people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and on to the Lamb. 145,000. So you had 144,000 and a multitude which no man could number. Notice. 144,000 was an inclusive company of people. The multitude are a separate body of people. But notice, both groups are singing the song of salvation. Both groups are. So 12 represents in the Bible is the number of divine government. So that's what it means, government, 12. So there's 12 tribes. There's 12 apostles. When you have a look, 12 times 12 is 144. So you start to see it. Even when you look at the New Jerusalem, you find in the New Jerusalem... There are 12 gates, there are 12 angels, and there are 12 foundation stones. In Revelation 4 and 4, it says this, And around about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So there were 24 seats, 24 elders clothed in white raiment. Now 24 was the number of priesthood. This was a priesthood. You find this in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. You'll find that. So that was priesthood, but you also know there was 12 and 12 make 24. So you had the 12 sons of Jacob, which were the 12 tribes, and you had the 12 apostles. Right? You're with me. I haven't lost anybody yet. Hold on. No. That's okay. That's good. So when we go to Matthew 19, go to Matthew 19 with me, please. <clears throat> go to verse 27. It says, And then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall, we, what shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye, shall also, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So you see that. So you see, there we go, there's the 12 again, and the 12 thrones. And even in the actual city, as it says in Revelation 21, 14, it says the walls of the city, this is the New Jerusalem, had 12 foundations and in them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what I'm trying to get at is the New Jerusalem is not this big city that everybody thinks of. The New Jerusalem, when you look at all the dimensions, is all multiples of 12. And it means a government. 
So what I'm trying to get across to you is there is a government in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that is to come on the earth. And you see, what we miss a lot of times is you see when the Lord shed his precious blood for us, it is great to be saved. Absolutely amazing to be saved. But what I'm trying to say to you is there was so much more done that day. Because when you look and he says he makes us heirs, then we start to get a grip of, well, hang on a minute. There's something more here than just being saved. There is so much more for us in the kingdom of Christ than we can ever, ever imagine. Now, what am I saying here? I'm not saying that we have to work for our salvation, but what I am saying is that we do have to work for our rewards. And it's got to, it's got to come down to what we do for Christ here to where we're going to be in that government of our Lord Jesus Christ. How much do you want of the kingdom of God? That's why the Lord said, don't lay up your riches down here, but lay them up in heaven. Because he's no man's debtor and he'll know exactly what you've done for him. So when you, I'm going to read out just Ephesians 2 and 19 and 20 just to show you this here. It says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So there you can see straight away that there's the foundation that was built was the apostles and the prophets. So you might say to yourself, well, I'll tell you what, I was always told, I think this is right now, I was always told that the 144,000 were going to be 144,000 uh, Jews that were going to go fly all over the world and, and, and save everybody. Yeah, I think I was told something like that as well. <clears throat> um, well, I'll tell you what, while we're looking at this, Flip over to me to Romans. Flip over with me to Romans. Romans chapter 2. Verse 28 and 29. Now this is what Paul is writing. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In other words, he's saying there is no such thing as a Jew anymore. Not an outward one anyway but it's whoever has their heart circumcised for the Lord. The Lord is looking upon the heart. Flip over, please, to Philippians chapter 3. Got to do a bit of turning here. 
Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Now look, what it, now look what it says in this. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So those are the ones that are circumcised. Those are the ones who are circumcised who rejoice in Jesus Christ, who worship God in spirit and they have no confidence in the flesh. So when we're looking at the promises... We start to see where the promises are. Now, if you would just turn over to Galatians with me, please. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. And it says this, Now to Abraham his seed were the promises made. He said not, and two seeds, as of many, but as one, unto thy seed, which is what? Christ. You see, nobody can claim the promises made in this book unless they have come through Jesus Christ. That's it. They can't do it their own way. I'm not being funny, but... The Jews over in Israel certainly cannot do it the way that they want to do it, through their sacrifice and everything else. It has to be through Jesus Christ. That is it. That is the only way. And if you let your eye run down in that chapter to verse 28, Galatians 3 and verse 28. And it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So we're all one in Christ. There's no difference. There's no, nobody's more anointed than anybody else. We all have the same access to Christ. We all have the same spirit that's dwelling in each and every one of us. We all have that same access. So turn with me please to Matthew chapter 21. Again, your Bible's a bit of a workout tonight. Chapter 21. Verse... Verse 42, there we go. Verse 42. And Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. What is the Lord saying? He is saying that in Judea, at that time, he was saying to them, because you would not accept me, it has been taken from you. The kingdom of God 
has been taken from you and it is being given to a nation or a people, as it would be, that are bringing the fruits thereof. So the temple was destroyed, was totally destroyed. And let me tell you something, they may try and rebuild it again, but it's a complete abomination unto the Lord. Because it was done away with. It was completely torn down. Now the ones that are coming through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones that are coming in the way that Jesus Christ had foreordained from the very foundation of the world, which the spotless uh, blemish lamb, which was our Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, listen to this, in 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation, ye are a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You see, when we come by the way that the Lord has ordained, when we come to accept him in our hearts, straight away we get the access to all the promises, all the blessings of Christ. And that is including the kingdom of God that is going to be on this earth when he sets up and rules and reigns. Every access. So you see when somebody says you will only have as much of God or as Jesus Christ as you want, that is so, so true. Because what you do, as I said before, determines your place in the kingdom. And it is totally up to you where you want to be. Totally up to you. And this is what I'm trying to get across to us this evening. Turn with me, please, to Revelation 14. got to read the first four verses. Revelation 14, we'll start at reading at verse 1. And it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him, listen, 144,000, have in his father's name written in, in their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and I heard the voice I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins, these are they which followed the Lamb wheresoever they goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God, to the Lamb. Now, there was three points made in what I have read out. They were on Mount Zion. These people were called virgins. And then there was the first fruits, Right? Keep that in mind. 
three points. So they're on Mount Zion, they were called virgins, and then we had the first fruits. Right. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. I know it's probably a bit deep for a Tuesday night. Hebrews 12 and 22. Hopefully you'll start to get this now. But but ye are come unto where? Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. So right. Straight away that verse says, you're on Mount Zion. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We read from verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. It says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused to I have expoused you to one husband, that I may present you as chastened virgin to Christ. But I fear less by any means as the serpent beguile Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we see here straight away he, he calls us. Virgins. What is he on about the virgins? That is means that those that have kept themselves from the corruption of false doctrines. That's what he means. So there he calls you a virgin. If you have, if you have kept to the word of God to the best of your ability and not gone with any wind of doctrine, then you have kept yourself and this is what he's calling them. Now James chapter 1 please. James chapter 1 and verse 18. James chapter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we are a kind of first fruits. We are virgins and we are on the Mount Zion. In other words, we have all the hallmarks of the 144,000. Now what I am trying to say to you is, tonight, if anything, is to encourage you into whatever the Lord has called you. Because, why am I saying all this? The Lord has blessed us so, so richly that we cannot even fathom the glory of his kingdom that is to come. And what I am trying to say to you is the calling of the Lord in somebody's life should be the most important thing that they place 
in their life. Because what you do in that calling will determine your position in his kingdom. The Lord never calls anybody to sit in a pew, to keep a seat warm. Never. He has called you. You have access to his spirit because it's in you. You have access to every promise that the Lord has in this book. But it determines you how much you want to reach for it. Now, there are some people, they are willing, if you like, to get the passport stamped and that's it. That's enough for them. That's fair enough. But you see, when it comes to the Lord coming back on the earth, can you imagine if there was more that you could have had and yet you just sat back in your life and did nothing about it? I remember there was a a man years ago. He sort of went through quite a few things in his life. He was a missionary and he didn't do everything right. He did a few things wrong. But anyway, he prioritised his life. When he read through the Bible and he saw the promises of God and what the Lord had for him. And then somebody said to him, they said, brother, you know, if you died next week, what would you change in your life? And he said, well, I've made a few mistakes. But he said, to be honest with you, if I died next week, he said, I wouldn't change anything. Because he said, I can't do any more than what I'm doing for the Lord right now. You see, when we shift gears with the Lord, when we shift our priority, when we shift our perspective and put it towards him, Now, I know we have to live life. I know we have to. And life is hard and there's plenty of things that come and and, and get in the way. And sometimes, you know, we're just working and laboring away and we forget about the Lord. We all do that at times. And we just think, Lord, where's that relationship? Where's that time that I should spend with you? What I'm trying to say is if we prioritize or we keep in view what the kingdom of God what we have been let into, the blessing of God, what he has for us, if we keep eternity in view, the best we can, then we will start to strive more and more for the things of God. You see, what I always found was when you were taught about the 144,000, you know, a lot of times it was usually taught that it was completely unattainable to anybody. You know, because it, we were, I even forget how it goes now, but I think all the church was flew away and then there was all these other people doing everything. I, I can't remember anyway. But it was something like that. And it was like, well, that's completely unattainable. Why would you even put that in there? But you see, when I started to see and I started to get revelation and I started to see and been taught what the revelation of the book was, what the 144 actually was. In other words, we have the hallmarks of it. In other words, he's saying, the Lord's saying, you can have this. You can be in my government. You can be ruling and reigning with me. Just as he said in Revelation chapter 3. There was no stipulations on it. He said, if you overcome, that was the only thing. If you overcome the lukewarmness, 
If you overcome this generation and its darkness, you will be with me in my throne. And that throne is the government that he's talking about, that I've tried to explain to you tonight. That is the government that is waiting for those who overcome. That is that position to those that will not adhere to the things of the world. Because, I mean, like, there's so much pressure on us at this time more than ever with the LGBTQ or whatever they call themselves and everything else. And you know what it is? It's social Marxism. That's what it is. I mean, like, it's more and more to look like a communist country at times. Because you can't say this, or you can't say that, or you can't preach the gospel anymore. Really? Come on. It's what the church is best at. It's what we should be doing. When they say you can't, this book says we can. When the world says you shouldn't, Jesus Christ is saying go and do it. And you see when there's a conflict between a nation and this book, brother and sister, let's tell you something. This book should override any rule of any nation. I'm telling you. Because Britain was founded on this book and they forget it. And even in the Houses of Parliament, there's still scripture engraved on the floor because that's what it was built on. Every law we have was built on this book. And that's what we need to get back to. They forget it was never a man that put the grade into Great Britain. It was Almighty God. And they forgot it. And now they're trying to throw every semblance of God out of the governments. And they can't understand why Britain is a laughing stock on the world stage today. Well, I can tell you something. Because Jesus Christ is no longer in it. And he's starting to hand it over to the heathen. And that is what's happening. Brother and sister, it's a reflection on the church. You know why? Because the nation always goes the same way as the church. And you see when the church stands up for this, and you see when there's men in the pulpit that stand up for this, that's when you'll start to see the nation change. That's when you'll start to see it blossom again. It's the only riches we can ever have. Thank you for listening tonight. and I hope that's blessed you. Went on a bit longer than I thought. We'll 